0: That great song. Open your Bibles tonight to First Peter chapter number two. 1 Peter chapter two. I have no idea uh, why the Lord laid this message on my heart. I was reading these verses this week, and uh, and uh, God put it on my heart to speak on the subject tonight: the believer's behavior, the believer's behavior. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse number 11 down through verse 21. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honour all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. for this is thankworthy if a man if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye, have, uh, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if whenever ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps." This chapter begins like the one before ends, and if you look at verse number 23 of the first chapter and verse number 2 of the second chapter, you'll notice in both instances it speaks about those who have been born again. And so having spoken about being born again, then he proceeds to tell us that we belong to God, and because of that, how we ought to behave as the children of God. And so all of those tie together. A person is born again, they belong to God, and now they ought to behave as they are God's children. And if we are believers, then our behavior is just as important as our beliefs i say that because of the fact that that your behavior is actually an evidence of what you believe our actions prove what we believe somebody screams out "Run!" the buildings on fire if you really believe that you're going to get up and you're going to exit the building uh if you believe it if you don't believe it well uh you know you might sit here or lollygag around and uh uh, you don't just let the building burn down, but, but whatever you believe is some way or another going to be evidenced by the way that you behave. Now the problem is that we live in a sinful world and it's getting worse all of the time. For those that are, let's say, people my age, uh, I think it's fair to say that we all live in a state of shock not only because of all of the modern-day technology, the inventions and things. It's like whenever we left the house and I, Bev and I got in the car and I said, who would have ever thought back when we were kids uh, that you would be able to stand in the house and start the car out in the driveway? Who, I mean, who would have ever thought that? I mean, we didn't even have air conditioning in the cars back then. And uh, nobody would have dreamed of that. But, but that's not what I'm talking about when I say that we live in a state of shock. I'm talking about the world that we live in and the sinfulness of the world and the way that this world have change, has changed. I mean, it is drastic. It's disastrous. And I'm not going to take time to try to make a list of all of those things, but to put it in the words of what one North Carolina preacher said one time, he said, We have lost our moral mind." And he's right. That's a good way to sum it all up. We have lost our moral mind. And uh, this makes Peter's message all of the more important because it's telling us how in this sinful world God's people ought to, to behave. And uh, he, he gives us a lot of details here. And we could get lost in them. And uh, uh, there's even some things there that will make you scratch your head and wonder why did he say that. But but I want you to look at four things because there's four things that really leap out at us in these uh, in these verses. Notice in verse number eleven, Peter speaks about a, a difficult war. No, notice what he said, dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So as Christians, we are involved in a warfare, and notice the territory for this warfare. He says that we are strangers and pilgrims. Like the song says, We're not home yet. Bev you sing that song, We're not home yet, children, and that's right. So as believers, we are away from home. And we will be as long as we're here on this earth. We are in enemy territory. We are on a battlefield, not a playground. And so that's where we are in this world. That's the territory. But notice the temptation. He speaks about the fact that we war against fleshly lust. You know, Satan doesn't have to do anything from without in order to tempt us. As James says, we're tempted when we're drawn away by our own lust. And and by the way, that's in every single person. Every single person has those evil desires, those fleshly desires. And so you can take someone like a monk in a monastery somewhere that isolates himself from all of the rest of the world. He's going to be, quote, unquote, a holy man. And so, uh, he, you know, he, he does that, but he can't lock temptation out because it will follow him into the monastery and wherever he goes. And so we all are in a battle and this battle is going on uh, within us. You, you see, the moment that we become a child of God, the moment we're born again, we have a new nature. And that, that's why I often say we become somebody we've never been before. You know, we're in the same body. We, we weigh the same amount of pounds. We're the same height. We have the same name, live at the same address but we become a new creation, someone that we've never been. Now we have a new nature. And that means that all of a sudden that there is a conflict because the new nature is going to go to war against the vestiges of that old nature which never leave us. And as Paul describes it in Galatians 5.16, there's this this battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. Now think about it. Before our conversion, we were captives. I preached about that here a while back. Remember, Paul said we're all taken captive of the devil at his will, so we were captives. What a horrible condition to be in. But the moment that we're saved, we're no longer a captive. Now we become a combatant. I mean, we're on the... Remember that old song, we're on the battlefield for our Lord? Well, we absolutely are. We are in, in a fight and... uh If we're defeated, and I want you to turn over to Galatians chapter 5, because if we're defeated, the works of the flesh are manifest in our life. And I want you to notice what defeat looks like. Galatians chapter number 5 and verse number 19, where he's talking about this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And he says in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, that is, they're revealed, they're made known, which are these... Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness. "...reveilings and such is the like which I tell you before as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God." Now, all of those things are characteristic of an unsaved person. And notice the strong language he uses. All of those that do such things uh, shall not inherit the kingdom of God." Well, does that, does that mean that if you are ever guilty of one of those particular sins that that you couldn't be a Christian? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Over in John, and you don't need to turn there, First John chapter number 3, it talks about the fact that if we've been born again, we sin not. Now think about that a little. We sin not. Well, how can that be? because everybody we know every christian we know sins in some way or another well it's in the grammatical structure of that particular verse and there he's talking about in habitual sense we sin not and and the and i'm not a language expert but the tense Uh, of of that word sinneth not or those words indicate something that is done over and over it's a manner of life it's something that is is habitual as a christian you can do anything you can commit any sin you can kill somebody you can rob a bank you can do any of those things but it will not it will not be your manner of life you see what i'm saying Now, the reason I'm raising this issue is to understand that even though we've been saved, even though we belong to God, even though we ought to, you know, behave as Christians do, whenever, when we lose this battle, as it were, that momentary loss on the battlefield of our own heart, and and when that happens, the lusts of the flesh are suddenly manifest in our life. I remember, Paul's writing to a church here. And he's warning them, just as he does in other places, just as, as John did, for example. And these are warnings that they needed because of the possibility of them uh, of them falling into those sins. And I say that because go back to our text now where he's talking about, he says abstain. Abstain, that means to refrain, stay away from something. That's the idea. So we are to abstain from fleshly lust. That means we don't have any right to just give into it because it's something that we enjoy or something that is popular with the crowd or something that is profitable to us. Uh, Those fleshly lusts, he says, that we are to abstain from them. Now notice the target. The target of this warfare, he says, they war against the soul. Now the soul is that inward part of you that's really made up in one way of three different things, your mind, your will, and your emotions, all of those. Remember, I've often said that the body is the seat of world consciousness, where we relate to the world. I, you know, I use my five senses, and I touch that, and I see that, and so forth, and I identify that as a wooden object. And so my body is the, my, my sense of consciousness to the world. My spirit is my sense of consciousness to God, and that sets me apart from all of the all of the other, all of the animals on the earth. I, man's different than any other creature on earth, but the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotion. It is the seat of self consciousness, and this is where the battle is taking place. You see, look, Satan's not content just to bring about a downfall physically in your life. Not that he wouldn't want to do that, but that's not the thing that's going to content him because, you know, after all, it can be someone like Fanny Crosby and a number of other people that have suffered, uh, you know, in some way physically, and yet God used them in a mighty way to do great things. There have been a lot of people on sick beds and so forth that have been mightily used to the Lord. He's not just interested in making you sick, not just interested in ruining you financially. He he wants to get to you, your mind, your will, and your emotions, because then He can control you. He can can, can corrupt you. He can conquer you and literally destroy your life in every way. There is a sin unto death. And that's what Satan is working for in our life. And so... These fleshly lusts that are within us are warring against our soul. So we are in this very difficult warfare. Now look at verse number 12. And here he speaks about the declared witness. He says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil, against you as evildoers that they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Now notice there is an obligation here. It says having your conversation honest. That's another way of saying be on your best behavior. That word conversation as it's used there speaks about our deportment or our manner of life. We use the word conversation strictly in the sense of speaking one to another, but that's not what this word means here. You look at the Greek word that's translated into the English word, A conversation has to do with your citizenship, your manner of life, your deportment. And that's what he's talking about here. It has to do with doing right, maintaining excellent behavior, even though you're in a bad world. That's the obligation. Now, notice the observers in in this matter. We're talking about the declared witness of which he speaks. Notice the observers are, he says, the Gentiles. And, and by the way, that means more than non-Jewish nations. Just speaking about pagan, heathen of you know of any kind. It's all about those that do not worship the true and the living God. And not only are they looking and watching, they're highly critical of us. Yeah, you, you know, wherever you work or wherever you go to school, these kiddos are getting ready to start back to school, and we need to be praying for them. Because you mark it down, there are those that would try to trip them up and to, to ruin them. And there, there, there'll be those that will mock them and so forth. And, and it's, it's a tough chore to try to live for God in a public school. And so they, they need our prayers. But the point is, young people, those other kids there in school are going to be watching you. They're not going to tell you that. And they might even make fun of you, but they're going to be watching to see how you behave. They've got their eye on you. I'll never forget listening to Dr. Bill Dow. Dr. Bill Dow was a pastor of the High Street Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. At that time, maybe the biggest Baptist church in in the nation. This is a church that Bev went to. And when she was a little girl, she'd go to Sunday school and had all of these awards and things for going to Sunday school. And we, whenever we started going together, she talked me into going a, a time or two. I don't know what he said. And I think we left early every time. Uh, but Bill Dow was a well-known preacher. I'll never forget what he said. And the fact that he went... Uh, he, he went to a school where it was. And by the way, this one is a kid in Texas, and uh, and took a stand for being a Christian. Fifteen of them got a hold of of him, tied him to a pole, and took turns mocking him, making fun of him, ridiculing him as a Christian. There, listen. There is a price to pay. And you better believe they are watching to see how you respond to their mistreatment. They are. That's what he's talking about here. Talking about these Gentiles and that they are watching you. They're observing your ways. But notice the objective. And this makes all of the difference in the world here. He says that we are to glorify God. Now, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but you should. You ought to make a connection here. Do you know this is the same as God's purpose was for Israel? Exactly. He said, I'm going to make Israel light unto the Gentiles. I'm going to set them among the heathen. They'll be my light. They were what? Hated and despised, right? Like no other nation on the face of this earth. They've been hated and despised and the eyes of the world have been upon the Jews all through these many years. And their purpose, which sadly they fail to understand evidently, is not the same today as it was then. The Lord established His church, but make no mistake about it, the mission is exactly the same. God's not trying to accomplish anything different than He did way back then. He is working through us in order to enable us to glorify Him, and we do that best when things are at their worst. I mean, if you want to know what a person's really made of, what kind of a person they are, you watch how they respond to people that mistreat them. That's when the truth comes out. Now, notice, he said, This is the objective. Glorify God. That's the what. But notice the when in the day of visitation. That's just another reminder that we all must give an account of ourselves to God. There's coming a day of visitation. We talk about the believer's behavior. We better keep that in mind. Although it has nothing to do with us standing before the Lord to be judged whether we're going to be saved or not, every man, first Second Corinthians chapter number 5, every man must stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what he did, whether it's good, whether it's bad. So even as Christians, we've got to give an account for our manner of life. Our rewards are based upon our manner of life. And we better make sure that if we don't do anything else, that we reach that objective of glorifying God that's all that really matters and that brings us to the next point here in addition to the declared witness has to do with us glorifying God but notice the divine will in verse 13 here's the reason for it he says for the lord's sake you know being on your best behavior can really be tough not always easy By the way, God knows that. Do you think God didn't know what was going on whenever He had Peter to write this? Do you think God didn't know that Nero was the emperor? A cruel, wicked, ungodly man like that. And notice again what He says here in verse number 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king his supreme or under the governors. Wow! You thought Obama was bad. I'm telling you what, this dude this dude, make Obama look like an angel. And, 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 and he gives us these strict orders. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Now we all know that the limitation to that is whenever the will of man conflicts with the will of God, right? right. It's better to obey God than it is to obey man. So we know. But... Whenever we, whenever we come under the authority that God has ordained, if what they require does not conflict with what God demands, we're obligated to obey that. Now, surely, surely some of those people back living in Peter's day thought, this is so unreasonable, how can that be? I mean, it just doesn't seem fair. Wouldn't seem fair today, you know. You know, whenever I was a boy growing up, and we, we talk about, you know, uh, how common it was to see people with guns. My, I've walked down the road many a times with a 22 rifle or a shotgun over my shoulder, and, and I'm talking about right right among where people live. Nobody thought anything about like, uh, about that, but you couldn't have a, you couldn't carry a pistol. And so we fought for you know years and years and years. The gun rights people fought for the right to carry a pistol. Now you can get a concealed carry right, and all of that. That's great. I, boy, I, I, I don't mind telling you, I'd really hate to give that up because I have a sense of, of, of responsibility to take care of my family and so forth. I, I, I'd hate to give that up. But if, if they enacted laws taking that away. I would be out of the will of God to ignore those laws and just go ahead and do it anyway, just like I would in regards to the speed limit. I, man, I think I'll have speed limit eighty or eighty-five, and I know John agrees with me on that. I'll raise the speed limit out there. On the, I'm talking about out there on the highway, not down nineteen sixty. Well, <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I need to rethink that too. But you know what I'm saying. Whatever the law is, and, and boy, there's a lot of times it really irritates me to have to... I like, go, 35? You've got to be kidding me. Why would they put a sign 35 speed limit? But it's the law. And and, and we have an obligation. That's the point. And, but notice the reason here behind it. He says it's for the Lord's sake. I want to say something. I want you to remember this. If you don't get anything else... And here it is. The why is more important than the what. And whenever the why is for the Lord's sake, it doesn't matter what the what is. Did I lose you? Are you with me? The why is for the Lord's sake. That's why we ought to do it. It's not because we like it. It's not because it's enjoyable. It's not because somebody else tells us to. The why is for the glory of God. It's for the Lord's sake that we do that. If what we're doing is for Him, it doesn't matter what the what is. Even if that means packing your bags, gathering your family up, getting on a plane, flying to the jungles of Africa and spending the rest of your life as the missionary, the what doesn't matter if the why is what it's supposed to be. That's the point. And so he makes this seemingly unreasonable demand. He says, uh, obey, obey all of the magistrates. Obey the governor. Obey the king. Do whatever they say. Doesn't seem fair. But notice, for the Lord's sake, that's the reason. But notice the reward of it. Verse number 20. Verse number 20. Here, th- This gets right down to in addition to why we do, but notice that there's a reward. It says, For what glory is it when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? In other words, you get what you're coming, right? You're slapped around because of your faults, and you take it patiently. You know, uh, you can kind of live with that. That's pretty easy, you know. You walk away saying, Well, I had that coming. You know, I smarted off, and I got what I deserved. But, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, patiently. This is acceptable with God. Now, what more could you possibly want out of life than knowing that what you've done is acceptable to God? Think about that. You know, we all, I'm sure Brother Kenneth has said it in every preacher. We've made this statement more than anything else. You know, whenever I stand before the Lord, I just want to hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Just to know that what I've done has been acceptable in His sight and that He was glorified as a result of it. That's the reward. It's not so much about the crowns that we're going to receive and things of that nature. It's just knowing God is pleased with what we do. And we glorify God by pleasing God. And we please God by doing what is acceptable to God. And look, nothing else matters as much as this. I mean, this is on the top of the list, folks. So this is the divine will. We are in this difficult war And we're to be there on the battlefield as a declared witness to others who are watching us. The divine will is that we endure these things and behave properly because it's acceptable to God. But notice the designated walk that he speaks of in verse number 21. He says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Notice the path to which we're called. You know, how we ought to live isn't really hard to figure out. It's really, really simple. I didn't say it's easy to do. I just said how we ought to live is really simple. And and, and you can say this, and, and it's that we follow the Redeemer, not not rules It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that we don't have rules I remember several years ago somebody got really angry with me uh, about uh, having rules in the church and accused us of making the church like being in the army and what have you because we had rules look well, you've got to have rules but the the point is you, if you're following the Redeemer you better understand there are certain rules by which we ought to conduct ourselves but we've got to keep in mind it's the Redeemer that we're following. Because if we're not careful, there are always those that come along, you know, and they want to make they want to make certain rules, impose their will upon others, and so forth. And that is so very dangerous to get caught up in this idea that I'm a good Christian if I follow these rules, if I do those things. Uh, I pastored a church, and i uh, <laughs> Whenever we moved there, I mean, it became really apparent. Now, look, these these were good people, at least some of them. These people, they thought, they thought it was a cardinal sin to, 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 to. And by the way, back then we did not shop on Sundays. It was the Lord's Day. We didn't go to the store. Didn't buy anything on Sundays. Typical behavior. But, but these people took it to the extreme, and I remember one fellow. He was a preacher, and he was a member of this church, and had gone out and, and and he was driving from place to place preaching. And he happened to stop to get gas, and before he even thought about it, he said, "You know, I saw a Coke machine there, and I put my my money in, and I bought a Dr Pepper." He said that he said, "You don't know how that haunted me and tormented me that he had bought a Dr Pepper." on Sunday. Now I can go on and on and give you a lot of different illustrations. That, that's what I'm talking about. There's so many times we try to measure how good of a Christian we are by the rules that we keep. We don't do this and we don't do that and so forth. No, no. It's not about the rules. It's all about the Redeemer. And look, folks, we don't have to go looking for stuff to do. You just study the Bible and you do what you know to do. So whenever he makes this statement here in verse number 21 and he's showing us the path, he said, Christ also suffered for us. It was difficult for him, just like it will be difficult for you. Leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Now that's the pattern that we are to conform to. Christ. Notice he says, He is our example So our behavior should be according to his example. I I remember, and I've seen this happen in several different places, but one in particular. And uh, this preacher was a friend of mine, by the way, and uh, he had and boy, he worked for this. I'm telling you, he had a he had a bunch of what he called his preacher boys, and boy, during the service, I mean, they were they all dressed like he did they tried to talk like he did they all lined up on the front row during every service that's no reflection on you guys i <laughs> I wish we had this front row full of people by the way but uh but, but but anyway it was so very obvious that they they were striving to be like him they admired him now you know that yeah that's that's a good thing to have respect and admiration or whatever for your pastor but my you, look you're not following me I'm not your example. I want to be a good example, but I'm not the primary example. the example is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what he's saying here. this is the pattern that we are to conform to but notice and I'm through now the plan to which we are to be committed. notice what he says verse twenty one Ye should follow His steps. Ye should follow His steps. I think everybody here is familiar with the motto that, you know, WWJD. I think years ago we had some of those little bracelets with that on it and pens with that on it and what have you. What would Jesus do? But sadly, a lot of folks have never read the book. And it was written by Charles Shelton. And he wrote that back. The whole title was, by the way, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? That's the full title of it. In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? If you've never read that book, you ought to get a copy of it and read it. It's really amazing about this community of folks that they they decide this is going to be the manner in which they live. This is going to be the determining factor in the decisions that they make. And it talks about these people in this little town and how that they deal with the problems that come up. And how do you respond to this? Now remember, we're living in this bad, sinful world. We are pilgrims. We are strangers. We're not home. And the Lord says, Obey the king and the magistrates. Do whatever they tell you to do. And it doesn't seem fair. And life is hard. And there will be those that will mock you. What would Jesus do when he was reviled he reviled not again you know the old flesh says they hurt me I'm going to hurt them worse I'm going to get them before they get me you know that's what the flesh says but the Bible says what would Jesus do and it says notice follow his steps every believer has a clear call from Christ who repeatedly said, follow me. You see, none of us are free to live as we please. We're to follow Him. We're not to run ahead of Him. That happens a lot of times. Somebody, you know, out of the excitement of a, of a religious experience and boy, they want to do this and they want to do that. And instead of waiting and letting God guide them, they run ahead of God and they always run into trouble. If you're following Him, you can't run ahead. And by the way, you can't turn aside. A lot of people do that. They follow Him for a while, and well, they see something over there, and boy, and, well, you know, that looks attractive, you know. I, I'll, I'll go do that, and then I'll come back to this later on. That's why when God called me to preach, I quit playing AAA softball and semi-pro baseball. I sold my bird dog because I knew. Look, I knew how weak I was. As long as I had that bird dog, I was going to miss a few Sundays. And I'd always wanted a bird dog. I am in mean, a really good one, and I finally got one. Got it from a deacon in the church, by the way. And I thought, I can't do this. I I can't. I'm too weak. It would have been so easy for me to turn aside, at least momentarily. And let me tell you, when you turn aside away from following the Lord, you don't have to go very far before you're in a heap of trouble. You can't run ahead. You can't turn aside. You can't lag behind. Well, yeah, I'm going to follow the Lord, but He's He's just going too fast for me. I, I'm going to take it a little slower. I'll keep my eyes on Him. I'll see where He's going, but I'm not not really ready for that and you just kind of lag behind. Oh, well, I know what He wants me to do and someday I'm going to do that, but I'm not ready now. And let me tell you, you can't sit down. That is, you, you can't stop. There's no, no stopping place. and and, and I don't know of anyone, if they'd be honest, if they've been saved very long, every person I know at some point in time in their Christian life is going to be tempted to sit down. They're going to be tempted to stop. I don't don't mean to disown the Lord. I don't mean to denounce Him publicly or anything like that. I mean just stop following Him. Just sit down. You, You know discouraged, I, I'd, you'd be amazed how many people leave one church so they can go to another church because they're discouraged. At the church where they're at, they've got a lot of responsibility on them. And, uh, and, and I know what I'm talking about because this nearly happened to me. I, I got saved. I surrendered to preach. I was involved in absolutely everything going on. I mean, everything. It just absolutely consumed my life. We lived in Springfield, Missouri. Baptist churches everywhere. The very best Baptist preachers across the nation. All of the all of the really good old timey uh, quartets came through there. I mean, every week. And I thought, man. I'd love to go over there to session, and Sess church. I want to hear I want to hear that guy preach or I I want to hear them sing, and I couldn't. And uh, and really I, I didn't sit down and think this out that this is what I'm going to do, but I come to realize that's what it was. For the first time, and I had I so respected my pastor. I loved that, that man uh because I was indebted to him. And uh, I began to nitpick on a few of the things. Didn't have a long list, just a few things. Uh, Aren't you going to do something about this? Aren't you going to do something about that? I mean, this just doesn't look right. You know, this, this isn't right. And all of a sudden I realized that all I was doing was trying to justify leaving that church... So I could go get in one of those other churches and be exposed to all of that great singing and preaching and I thought, boy, that would be awesome. Thank God He didn't let me do that. It would have been a horrible mistake and you mark it down, a lot of people that are members of a church and we wonder sometimes, well, why did they leave? I'll tell you why a lot of them leave. They leave because they want to get somewhere and get lost in the crowd where nothing's expected from them. They just go there. Nobody, nobody will be on their doorstep. Nobody will be calling them up. and you know they, they can just be comfortable coming and going as they please and doing what they want. Now look, if you're going to follow the Lord who is your example, You can't lag behind. You can't run ahead. You surely cannot turn aside or sit down and stop on the Lord. This is a lifelong commitment. And our manner of behavior in this sinful world matters because it is for the Lord's sake. It is for the Lord's glory. And our main purpose is what? To live so as to be acceptable unto the Lord. And I hope tonight that every single one of us resolves to do exactly that, to behave like a believer in this world. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you, Lord, for your patience with us because we know as we journey down the road of life, as we engage in the warfare that's raging within us, as we struggle against the lust of the flesh, and all of those things, uh, we we realize that we're not uh, we're not nearly so perfect as we ought to be. And Lord, in spite of our very best atten- intentions, there's so many times that we we falter and we fail. And Lord, we need you tonight. We need for you to help us to walk as as spirit-filled believers in this world, so that others can see the difference in our life, that you might be glorified in all that we say and all that we do, help us tonight because we can't do it without you. Speak to our hearts. Help us to not be content with what we are and where we are, but to strive every day to walk closer to you, to be more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together while we sing 384.